According to the National Human Trafficking Hotline, in 2019, law enforcement made up the second largest access point to help for survivors. When trucking and law enforcement connect on the issue of human trafficking, we are effectively closing loopholes to traffickers. This is why at Truckers Against Trafficking, we host trainings that bring together the trucking, bus, and energy industries alongside law enforcement. When we are all on the same page about what to look for, what to report, and where to report it, it is easier to support a path to freedom for victims or survivors. Hello everyone, my name is Helen Hofer and I'm the Freedom Drivers Project Director for Truckers Against Trafficking, or TAT, and you're listening to our podcast, Driving Freedom. My co-host today, you may recognize him from an episode earlier uh, last year, is Louis Greek. He is a TAT training specialist. Hi, Louis. Hi, Helen. Hi, everyone. Thanks for having me again. You know, a lot of people don't know, as my role as a TAT training specialist, I get the opportunity to work with hundreds of law enforcement officers. But prior to that, and before my time with TAT, I also worked as an investigator locally in Colorado, and then worked with law enforcement all over the world in human trafficking investigations. I know that law enforcement is just one piece of the puzzle that can lead to the recovery of survivors and the arrest of traffickers and buyers. Which is why, you know, we're excited to have Trooper Zach Hurd on the call today to share his experiences roadside so we can know more of what law enforcement experience and how professional drivers can better identify and report trafficking cases to support law enforcement's investigations. Zach, can you start off by introducing yourself and tell us how you first came in contact with Truckers Against Trafficking? Good afternoon, Helen and Louie. Thanks for having me. My name is Trooper Zach Erd. I'm a criminal patrol officer with the Illinois State Police. Our team's made up of well-trained and motivated officers and uh, primarily patrol the highways to reduce fatalities, maintain positive relationships with the public, but primarily detect criminal or terrorist activity through lawful interdiction methods. Our goal is to consistently identify and apprehend major criminals traveling through and on Illinois roadways. We think of it as a last line of defense uh, in protecting our communities and citizens uh, from the criminal element exploiting our highways. Traditionally, in the past, for us, this has been most successful with narcotics and arms trafficking, things that are inherently illegal to possess. But since my introduction into the commercial sex industry through Truckers Against Trafficking, I've made it a goal as best we can to arrest commercial sex violators and free the victims that they're exploiting. My introduction to Truckers Against Trafficking came in 2018. Kyla and Annika taught a four-hour class to our commercial vehicle enforcement officers due to their specific interaction with the commercial truck drivers. I showed up because I'm the primary instructor for my criminal patrol team, and I was invited to attend, and uh, the goal was that I could share whatever I learned with the rest of our team. The impact since has been more than anyone expected. I'm glad to hear that there's been an impact in your work because of the TAT training. You know, I often hear times when I get to work with other law enforcement with TAT about the impacts and the changes in their perspective of fighting this crime. You know, not always knowing before some of those particular red flags to look for or how to use that victim-centered approach. And so it's great to hear people like yourselves or other law enforcement that are out there on the front lines talk about the impacts of TATS training um, and how it applies to their work every day out on the road. So, Zach, what do you kind of remember from that training and what really stood out about that specific training that you received from Truckers Against Trafficking? Myself and my team are pretty adept at recognizing human behavior 
reading body language and identifying deception uh, when speaking with people. What we didn't know, and I'm still learning and we're still learning, is the illicit commercial sex market in America. Kyla and Annika provide an introduction into that industry that has allowed for us to see the tip of the iceberg. And now it's up to us as, as far as we want to pursue our depth of knowledge. What stood out most to me was specifically to have Annika's perspective as a victim personally presented in the training. It, it made the information about the commercial sex industry poignant, personal, and impactful. A specific intricacy uh, mentioned in their training was lack of eye contact and physical control. Since those are human behaviors, it's easy for us to pick up on as we key on that stuff. Just a month prior to attending that training, I arrested an adult male and an adult female passenger for trafficking bulk marijuana in a pickup truck. I recalled the nature of the relationship when I asked the, the driver, the male, he said she was just someone he messed with, not his girlfriend. I recalled after the training that the female made no eye contact with me at any point throughout the arrest. My best description of her behavior would now be complete submission. It appeared she felt her social status was obviously below his in the relationship or even non-existent as a free adult. After that training, I immediately recalled that scenario and felt remorse for my inability to recognize the situation. I believe through fraud, physical force or coercion or a combination of all of them, she had no choice whether or not to be involved in that crime for which I arrested her. And that's just one example of why awareness training is so important. Thank you for acknowledging how much you had to learn from the TAT training and how greatly that changed your approach to victims and the impact you could have in the life of a victim. I mean, there's so much as law enforcement that you have to be on the lookout for in protecting communities. Why is this something that has stood out to you and really struck a chord with you? That's a great question, Helen. Most of our, like I said, most of our crimes have been crimes of possession, where the victim is all of America, so to speak. When I'm dealing specifically with commercial sex exploiter, a handler, a trafficker, a pimp, and the victim, there's a very real impact right then. So with that in mind, I've now realized how pervasive this victimization and this exploitation is across our country. A lot of people will be lured into trafficking because of vulnerability specifically. You talk about someone who is lacking food or lacking a safe place to sleep. And what will you do to get that when you feel you have no other options? And what will you do when someone says, oh, I have a right to sex. I have a right to sex with you. My personal pleasure is more valuable than your safety, is more valuable than your consent and really create a very traumatic situation for the victims that you interact with. I know that since your training, you have actually been able to uncover a confirmed and then also some suspected human trafficking cases. Could you start telling us those stories from, you know, when you initially saw the individuals and then what were some of those behaviors that you noticed and any follow-up that you know of that you can share at this point? Yeah, yeah, Helen. Uh, since the training, I know I've, I've encountered probably close to a dozen instances of suspected sex trafficking. Unfortunately, prosecutions for sex trafficking crimes for us are very rare uh, currently, and that's for a number of reasons. One of which, uh, simply, a felony conviction or, or prosecution should be hard in America. That's We enjoy these freedoms. But this is something that my team is actively trying to correct, and it's training like this that helps and through your organization. In many of the suspected instances I've arrested and prosecuted, the suspected handler or trafficker for other violations like narcotics or other felony crimes and subsequently been able to separate the female victim through the handler's arrest. However, actual prosecution for the crime of sex trafficking has been difficult. The victims are reluctant to disclose their status or the crimes committed against them for a myriad of reasons, including fear, shame, coercion, retaliation. The list is extremely long. And unlike domestic violence, the state, the government cannot be the victim. So it takes 
that victim's voice. It takes their willingness to separate their trauma bond in a short contact with law enforcement, and that's difficult to do. In reference to the cases, this is a different scenario than the one I mentioned previously. This case involved an adult female, approximately 25 years of age. She was a passenger with an adult male driver, about 38 years old. The male driver was ultimately arrested for bulk cannabis trafficking. And this instance took place one or two months after the training. Observations made initially at the car would be similar to what a professional driver could observe. The female was dressed in skin-tight clothing. It was, a, it was a pullover dress. She lacked a bra, had no pockets, couldn't possess something as money or a cell phone on her without it being seen. The male driver was dressed casually, t-shirt and jeans. He was boisterous and exaggerated in his speech and his mannerisms. And that was exactly the opposite of the female. She made no eye contact and she kept her posture closed. So in the passenger seat, her arms weren't resting comfortably on the armrest or the center console. If you had to describe it, it says she was a guest inside the vehicle. She didn't feel the same... Uh, social status. People of equal social status will mutually share that space. And uh, during contact, he described the nature of their relationship, much as is in the previous example, as she was just someone he messed with. And they were traveling from the LA area to the Atlanta area. And for someone that you just mess with or, or, or may not uh, admit a relationship to, that's a long travel. That's a big investment of time, money, uh, all of which are, are valuable in our lives. You know, some of those red flag indicators um, alone may not necessarily be significant, but if you start adding up some of these red flags and there's more than one, it starts to build a bigger picture that this person or this individual might be vulnerable or might be being exploited in human trafficking. Thanks, Zach, for sharing that. Uh, you mentioned earlier about how important that awareness training is. And in both my military and civilian law enforcement academies, you know, I didn't really receive any human trafficking training. It was a, a nonprofit who educated me on this crime. And oftentimes, you know, it is detectives or investigators that receive specialized training. TOT has this law enforcement training video, and it's really valuable to providing law enforcement specifically on that victim-centered approach. Zach, can you tell us in this situation how using the victim-centered approach helped, and if it really did help, how did it ultimately help the victim and your investigation? Thanks, Louis. Well, ultimately, I arrested I arrested the driver, and he admitted to and has pled guilty to the cannabis trafficking, the bulk, the bulk marijuana. But while they were separated, I was able to speak with the victim about her situation. She had some things I'd recognize, not just her dress and not just her mannerisms, but she had some tattoos that appeared to me to be telltale signs that she wasn't free to do what she wanted when she wanted, or that, that she was a sex trafficking victim. And through my close interpersonal contact with her, her, I was able to let her know that I would offer help to her anytime she wanted it. And she agreed to share phone numbers. And I was able to drop her off at a hotel and she could be on her way later. And about a week later, I reached out to her again and she answered her phone. And I told her, hey, I've received some training through an organization and, and specifically from a survivor. Would, would you be willing to allow me to share your phone number with her so she can call you and talk to you from a, a better perspective, having been a victim herself? And uh, she, she agreed to that. And so I, sh I shared the phone number with Annika. And I don't know uh, specifically what was discussed, but I do believe that uh, she expressed to Annika a desire for some resources in her area to help get her out of the situation she was in. Wow. Thank you so much, Zach. I really appreciate that you took that time to offer that 
to her and to follow up and make a call a week later. I mean, I can understand how how traumatic or how hard these issues, these circumstances can be for you as a law enforcement officer that over and over again, you're coming into contact with people who are struggling, who are suffering. That is beautiful and very encouraging. So thank you for doing that. Both of you can speak to this, that a victim of human trafficking may not always behave like a typical victim right? That they have been groomed uh, to be standoffish to law enforcement, to be distrusting of law enforcement, that they, right, that they have gone through a lot of trauma. And so, Zach, you mentioned taking this victim-centered approach. How could someone be tempted to not use a victim-centered approach, not recognize that this individual is a potential victim? And how do you personally combat that? Good question, Helen. So the victim-centered approach is vital. Truckers Against Trafficking made me aware of how often these victims actually come in contact with law enforcement, whether it's a traffic stop, a call for service, domestic violence situation, uh, and the victims are then arrested themselves for prostitution or the crime of trafficking isn't even recognized by the officer. So with that in mind, uh, it's easy to understand how a victim could not appear as a victim because they may be punished for the situation. But truckers and trafficking kind of described it to me as, as domestic violence on steroids. And that's an easy way for a lot of law enforcement to recognize why the victim-centered approach is so vital. We've changed laws to allow the government or the state to be the victim for domestic violence. And this is because quite often, if the violator was not arrested, it was because the victim didn't want them to be arrested because the retaliation that was going to happen. And so the cycle of abuse was just compounded. So quite often the domestic violence victim, when law enforcement arrived, wouldn't say anything. And law enforcement's hands were tied. Uh, If the victim's not advocating their victim status, there's nothing you can do. Unfortunately, sex trafficking and and commercial sex exploitation doesn't allow for this. Still, the victim is the victim. The state's not the victim. But when you can advocate to the victim that, hey, we recognize and we're here for you and we'll do whatever we can to help you, not just now, but later down the line, if you choose to reach out, it's, uh, it may not help them initially, but you've hopefully planted a seed that's going to sprout later. I know that's not measured easily in spreadsheets and, and and ways that administration and in different places like to measure stuff, but it sits really well with my soul. Um, that's really powerful, particularly in law enforcement, as we're constantly learning and understanding this crime as well as others. You know, we're we're changing our techniques and our theories, and I think that's why it's so important to things with that victim-centered approach, making them the center of your investigation and trying to protect them, get the information that you need to possibly fight this crime and really keep the community safe. So you as a law enforcement officer, you know, most of our audience are professional drivers. How would you say your perception of professional drivers has been shaped by your work with Truckers Against Trafficking? Yeah, thanks, Louis. I've had profound respect for commercial drivers since joining the state police. Any part of a highway patrol or a state police, uh, obviously the interstates are our primary jurisdiction or we're the ones that have primary jurisdiction over it. And everything in America moves via commercial driving. (laughs) So we have a close relationship. And when I was introduced to it, I had a profound respect. Our interstates are vast and driving from coast to coast with a lot of people or property that you're responsible for can be isolating, lonely, and dangerous. Professional drivers are the bloodline that move the American economy. Task is incredibly essential. And since I've started training and partnering with Truckers Against Trafficking, I've been amazed 
at the patriotic community that is commercial transportation. These men and women are hardworking, dedicated, neighbor-next-door type people, and they care deeply about uh, not only their job, but the country and, and the citizens of the country. Yeah, I remember when I first came to Truckers Against Trafficking, didn't have any experience in the trucking industry, and just seeing there is no like bystander effect when it comes to the trucking industry. I think if there is something that needs action, action will be taken. Obviously, very excited as an advocate for potential victims for righting the wrongs in our communities. Obviously, a big shout out to the industry and what a powerful way to demonstrate to other private industry sectors, you can take this issue and make a difference. I echo that, Zach. So, Zach, to reiterate, can you highlight what are some of your key takeaways that as drivers they can be looking for so they know, okay, this is something that I can report to the national hotline? What are those things that you would pull out and highlight for drivers? A a truck driver who is solicited by a victim for services, something we don't always look at but is, is incredibly important is the age of the victim right? Is this person even legally allowed to engage in sexual intercourse? But also, like I said, how they're dressed. Do they have pockets? Can they possess things? Are they are they forced to have just a fanny pack or a waistband just to be able to keep a tube of chapstick on them? Where do they return from when they come back? Are they avoiding eye contact with certain people? Is there someone else in the area that may be directing their movements? situations like that. In my first time ever in law enforcement, many years ago that I encountered what I believed was sex trafficking, it was one male and three female occupants that were 15 years younger than him in that specific instance. It was obvious what was happening, but my, my lack of knowledge with the commercial sex industry prevented any kind of prosecution for sex trafficking. The violator was ultimately arrested, but not for the situations we're talking about. And what stood out to me in that one would be like when you travel, you're, say you're in a symbiotic relationship, whether it's a boyfriend, girlfriend, boyfriend, boyfriend, whatever it is, you're in a genuine relationship spending time together. Typically, when you go out, you dress the same. You dress, you're of equal social status, you're going to the same place. You want to look like you're together. In a lot of my instances, when I encounter the handler, uh, he's quite often showered, looked like he had time to get ready. And the victims, they're thrown together, they're not showered looks as if they spent the entire night up because they probably did. And they weren't allowed to get dressed and continue their day as he is. Their job was last night, all through the night, and now he's relocating with them. So if they're not dressed equally, as if they're the same social status together, that could be a big indicator. There's a long list of things that stick out, but my interactions are different than the commercial driving industry. But I will say truck drivers, they see so much of the country. They see so many destination locations. They sit at an elevated level looking down into vehicles. They can really really be a force multiplier for law enforcement. That's why I'm, I'm so behind truckers against trafficking. So Zach, it seems like in your work, you make a huge difference in people's lives. And I'm just curious if, if there was anything that you can say to that uh, victim or that survivor that you were able to assist, what would you say? Uh, good, good question, Louis. Uh, I haven't necessarily thought about that, but I would just thank her for the courage, number one, to be able to talk, to be able to listen. I know at times as the victims, they feel like the word no has probably been out of their vocabulary for a long time, that they are not uniquely free individuals who can do what they want when they want. And she made a choice to share information with me and to hear what I had to say and to ultimately advocate for herself. And that's amazing. We all have our own path to walk in life and it's not easy. And each one is unique and different. She was willing to listen to me, even though potentially law enforcement hadn't helped her out in the past. 
So uh, her open mindset, her empathy for my situation, even being in the tough situation she was in, just what a quality human being and a person of value to set her experiences aside and listen to somebody on my end who probably typically not recognized her situation or helped her out in the past before. So that trust was amazing. And I, and I would wish her nothing but the best in the future. And I hope that she has found help so that she can enjoy individual freedom and she can enjoy not being victimized and exploited anymore. That is really beautiful and really powerful and strikes at the heart of why we do what we do. So this would be a great place for us to wrap up and conclude this jam-packed episode today. Thank you so much, Zach, for sharing your story, how important it is for anyone in law enforcement or trucking to use the victim-centered approach. And thank you for teaching us so we can be better informed on how to recognize, report, and empathize with potential victims of trafficking. It can be tricky for us to look at a situation and know what is maybe unusual but safe versus a red flag and dangerous. Thankfully, when we're out on the road, we don't have to have all the answers. You can always call the National Human Trafficking Hotline and report red flag behaviors even if you're not 100% sure that it's trafficking. Remember, you can always find more training at truckersagainsttrafficking.org and on our social media pages. We are so thankful to all of our law enforcement partners who are out there working to support victims on their path out of the life. And thank you to all of our truckers against trafficking out there on the road this week. You can be the first step in alerting law enforcement about potential trafficking because you are driving freedom. 